Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Hey, thanks for joining us today. You know, several years ago, I was working with a marketing team in a nonprofit, and our motto there was, it's a process. And, you know, when you think about all of the tasks you do on a daily basis, as well as, you know, when you're gearing up for a major event, fundraising campaign, whatever, process management can definitely relieve the chaos. At least that's what I've found. A process lists the steps that are performed to carry out a certain activity. Processes don't have to be long and complicated, like, you know, making a cup of coffee or taking a shower. Those are processes. Process management is when you get all of the processes lined up for a task, implement the process according to the steps, and then reap the benefits when everything is done correctly and goes off without hitch. At least it's supposed to, because you're thinking right now, easier said than done. And yes, you would be right. But how could you make it easier done than said? After all, shouldn't your best practices be repeatable? Right. Okay. So if you could ensure that everything gets done, especially when you've got a major event to plan and host, wouldn't that be great? And of course, who doesn't like efficiency? Now, today we're going to be talking about process management and our guest made all of the mistakes so you wouldn't have to. Our guest is Alistair Eason, the founder of Process Bliss a process management platform. He's also the author of the book, The Dirty Word, a book that basically shares with the readers that process is not a dirty word. Alistair has studied process for many years, and by the end of our discussion, I guarantee that you won't find process the dirty word you think it is. Alistair is joining us from his home in Newbury, England, which is just west of London, an amazingly beautiful countryside. Alistair, thanks for being our guest today on Impactability. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. And thanks for such a great introduction. Now, before we get started in the spirit of full disclosure, I want to say that I am a client of Process Bliss. So I can speak from a level of someone who has used this particular process management software. But our conversation is about process itself and how defining processes can really make a big difference at your nonprofit. So, Alistair, like I said in the intro, you made all of the mistakes and trial and error in your career to get you to this point. In your bio that I was reading, it said that you, quote, drove his employees up the wall, disempowering them to the point that they could no longer contribute to the business, demotivating them, and heaping more stress on himself, end quote. Alistair, kind of sounds like a rough go of it, buddy. I really appreciate that, Joe. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for digging that quote out. A little bit hard on myself, but um, I think the reason is, and I, I think not-for-profits will relate to this, you've got limited budget. You've got limited resources often, and you want your organization to be perfect. You care passionately about your cause and you want it all to work perfectly. And when you're dropped into that situation, it's it's nobody's fault. You're dropped into that situation. What do you do when things aren't working perfectly, when things are going wrong? You kind of get your hands dirty and you jump in and you start sort of making it work. And when you're a small organization, you know, you have enough hours in the day to do that. So you, you kind of medal in everybody's life you see a typo on the website so you start looking for other typos you start kind of making diary notes that you must check this and you must check that and make sure making sure that all your staff are doing the things that they should be doing and 
you know, you're kind of almost policing quality in your business. And it's a dreadful thing because what happens is you are just getting sucked into this detailed work that is not really driving your business forward. You're not doing the job of a, of a manager. You're doing the job of the people that work for you. And you're stealing them of their autonomy to do it for themselves. And, and people typically hate that. Um, you know, what people want is, is empowerment, autonomy, but they want guidance, but they want autonomy and you steal it from them. And so that's, that's kind of where I was. And I wasn't in a not-for-profit at the time. We were, we, our clients were mainly not-for-profits, but I knew that if I wanted to grow that business and do more of what we're doing, I was working 80 hours a week. Uh, you can't do 160 hours a week. So I going to double the size of that organization. That doesn't, the maths doesn't work. So I had to find another way. So, I mean, that's kind of where I got to with it. And I found process was the key to kind of unlocking that. Okay, let's start with the basics as we often do here on Impactability. Describe the concept of process. So for me at the time, I was thinking of repeatable processes. So I was thinking of the, you know, the, how, we, how we handled our clients, how we handled our employees. Uh, employee onboarding would be a good example. I was thinking of those sort of things that were collaborative across the business and that's what we originally set out to tackle and, and, to, and to make better. And we did that. But then we realized that there's a whole, you know, that, that's just a subset. And actually, when you think about the definition of process, it's, it's just a very great definition. I would argue that the difference between a task and a process, and you mentioned a cup of coffee in there, they're the same thing. You know, you start, some people think process is this repeatable thing that you do over and over again and it's really complicated. You know, if I went into the hospital for an operation, that'd be a one-off operation. I'm never going to have it again, but we call it a procedure. And if I'm, um, if I'm going to buy a house, that's a procedure, right? I go through it. We say I go through a process to buy the house. And then if you think about it, if you make it even smaller, there's other things like, um, you know, just reviewing a document, getting a document out the door is a, is a process. And even as you pointed out, making a cup of coffee, I don't need a step-by-step detailed map as to how to make a cup of coffee. You know, I can manage that myself. But, but I, I consider that to be a task. And where you, where you draw the line really is up to you. The point is, it's all the same stuff. So we had, to, we had to adapt our thinking really to think we can't just pigeonhole this kind of repeatable stuff. We've got to make it do everything. So, you know, it's got to be about task management. It's got to be about, I mean, what I would call it is work, just general work. Yeah, you know, there was a statistic that I read that I wanted to get your read on. It said that 88% of senior management lose one day every week just managing process. Is that true? Uh, I think if I remember rightly, about 35% said it was two days. <laughs> I mean, it's like literally, and I think, I think we, got, we, we actually delved into what they did and what we found that they were doing when they, when they were talking about that was they were getting on people's backs, making sure they were doing things. You know, they were, they were reviewing where things should be and checking everything that needed to be done was done. They were chasing things that hadn't been done. And I, I, yeah, I would agree with it, but I think, I think that what's worse than that is it develops a certain culture. Because if you're doing that sort of stuff, you're developing this culture where, you know, I as an employee don't need to worry about getting the job done properly because my boss is going to just be on my back anyway. And if I have a great idea, it'll probably come in and say, why have you done it that way? Um, you, you know, this is how we do it. And I'll get overruled. So you create this, this culture of disempowerment and, you know, you, you don't have any time to work on the, business, on, the, on the organization improving it because you're always in it, just meddling. So, yeah, it's, I think that's the worst factor. So why does process management work for nonprofits? I think nonprofits, it's particularly interesting because I really think that they have a tough time, and not all of them, but I think, you know, you're often dealing with limited budgets, you know, and, and even if you haven't got a limited budget, you know, you have a passionate cause and you want the, you want the spending to go towards the passionate cause, not towards inefficiencies in the organization. 
it's hard to get staff. Staff aren't necessarily the well, the, the, the best employees aren't necessarily the best paid. They're often very junior. So if you're going to get them, you need to look after them and you need to not fall into the trap that I described earlier of kind of stifling them. In fact, you need to do the opposite because ideally as a not-for-profit, not you're, you're going to get junior staff and bring them on and get the best out of them. And that's all about empowerment. And if you start chucking control at them and process in the wrong way, it will do the opposite. And if, if you're, you know, I think if you're a large organization with big budgets, you can, you can solve some of these problems with, um, by throwing money at it and you know, just hire another person and pay the recruitment fees. But you know, I, don't, I don't think that for not-for-profits, not that's, that's a real waste. And it's, it's the cause that you're there for that pays the price. So I think, I think it, it has to be more important in those organizations than in, in your standard organization in a way. Alistair Eason is our guest. We're talking about process management. Alistair, how can I grow my nonprofit without killing creativity? Because that's what I'm kind of concerned about when it comes to process management. So that's this is kind of where my book, The Dirty Word, fits in. I ought to say, The Dirty Word, if you Google that on Amazon, you just need to be a bit careful about which dirty word you <laughs> buy. Mine's a black and white, boring cover and yeah, by Alistair Eason. So yeah, just make sure it's that one. <laughs> the um, I think that's where The Dirty Word fits in. And we we kind of built this software product to manage process. And then my team said to me, you know, that doesn't really get across what we stand for. It doesn't really get across the issue that people have. The, the issue is what people do is they, they see their business as just chaos. So what they do try to do is they, they kind of try to organize it by going for, if you can imagine a quadrant with, you know, consistency on one level and empowerment on the other level, they go up to the consistency and they go, right, we implement some form of control over this which you do by that kind of micromanaging but you lose the empowerment and if you go the other way and you say well the traditional way to get empowerment is to just let people make decisions themselves and have provide no framework then you you end up with sort of no consistency because everyone's just doing their own thing and and you and if you have any if you have any sort of organization that isn't consistent people don't know what to expect from it and it will hit your it will hit you hard so what we want to do as you point out is to grow the profit to, to grow your not-for-profit without killing creativity is to get the best of both worlds. And for me, what that has to be is it has to be a framework. You put in place a framework of process, a way of working, a way of managing tasks and processes where you put the employee first. See, it's not, this isn't a system to control the employee because they're, they're a naughty person and they do things wrong all the time. This is a system to fill in the gaps that, that exist in their skill set. And the biggest gaps that exist in human skill sets is we're not good at repeatable things. We like to change things all the time. Uh, we, we forget things, we forget steps, we pass things over from a, one person to another person and then they do it differently. And so what they need is a framework to make sure that thing, there is some consistency, but it's a framework that they should be able to challenge. Yeah, we're speaking with Alistair Eason about process management and what it can do for your nonprofit. We're going to pause right now for a short break, but when we come back, we'll talk about how to create process improvement strategies, how you can find your aha moment in process management, and some tips on how you can get started today. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. Sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day to get the work at your nonprofit done. Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. We handle all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sukup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of nonprofit professionals working for you. You'll have more hands on deck, reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit SukupStrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. 
Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Alistair Eason, about process management and the amazing transformation that your organization can realize with well-defined processes. Now, coming up in just a few minutes, another edition of Coach's Corner. We still have lots of questions from Planet Philanthropy, and we're going to dig into more of those in just a couple. So stay close for that. Now, so far, we've had a very lively discussion about process management. And as someone who is familiar with process management software, I'm thinking back to my early days with it. And at the time, Alistair, the toughest part was breaking through and getting it. So, Alistair, my question to you, how does someone get it when it comes to process management? That's a really good question. How do you get it? I think I think you've got to kind of not everyone gets it. I think you, you're thrown into that position where you you see it's not working, and it, and you have to come to a realization that the solution is not micromanaging. And I think it's when you're in that position. And 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 the sad thing I find is, um, and this is why I, I set up the business and wrote the book. The sad thing I find is that so many people in in various organisations get stuck in that position, and they realise that process is the solution, but they don't know how to implement it. They don't know how to escape this trap. And what they do, and it's it's quite sad when you see it, is they spend a lot of money documenting all their processes. And what, what does that achieve? You know, they put them in a file, nobody really looks at them. They might, they, they're out of date within a month because people change the way that they work. And then once a year, they think we better update the processes in the file because they're out of date and get turned into line with what, what we really do. And right. it's like, and if someone joins, they go, well, you could look at the process in the file, but it's probably out of date. Best I tell you how it works. So I, I think I think getting it is is something that it dawns on them when they're in that position. I think the harder thing is what you do about it. And I meet so many people that are stuck not seeing a way out of that. I will say that for me, the aha moment was when I equated process to taking a shower. If you ask someone like, you know, the steps to taking a shower, they might say, well, you turn on the water, you get in, you wash yourself, you get out, you dry yourself. But then when you look closer, there are many more steps to it than that. So now do you think my example is a good one or did I just screw everything up? (laughs) No, that's a good one. It's a good one. I'll tell you why it's good. Because I think the most... The, the most surprising thing and the thing some people sort of say you know why does this matter and you you know what is it going to do for me and you say well you could say efficiency you could say um you know consistency you could say you know happier employees you're going to have more time and all those things and they're all fine but the bit that gets to me is if you haven't got a framework to hang process off you miss out on so many special nuances that you could make happen so for example i was with a client this week and when we'd done, we did a demo of our task management. And at the end, I, I go back to my desk and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a quick video. We have this video software. It takes me two minutes. Make a quick video and send them just as a reminder of how to use it so that they can, they don't feel lost or anything. I send it off to them. I think that's a great idea. Why don't we do that every time? And in most businesses, what happens is you do that once, you do it twice, you do it three times, then you forget, then you get busy and it never happens again. So what's the point in having a good idea? You know, because I, I, it only happens three times, three months, each good idea lasts for three months and then it's gone because of this process deterioration if you don't have anything. Whereas I know with us, I don't bother trying to make that happen every time. I just say we need to put that into the, the process. So after the meeting, I get told to do that. And then I know it's going to happen forever from now on. And then I think, oh, well, and yeah, and we could do a post on LinkedIn about meeting the client and we, we could throw that in there. But these are the things that make you special. I had one client that whenever an employee turned up at their desk for the first time, they'd already found out what their favorite biscuit was and they'd put it on the desk to make them feel like cared for and special. And I thought, what a nice touch. 
But it's those things that if you don't have a process, they'll get forgotten. They'll only last for a little period and then they'll be gone. So for me, what you can do is build a hundred, hundreds of things around your business that make you special. And for me, that's, that's just like so important. Process is fluid. Would you say that is a safe statement? Yeah, it is. And, you know, the way that you learn, um, I mean, we sit at meetings and what we say is, you know, we things we need to do something better. We don't just kind of walk away with an action. We walk. The action is to put that into the into the relevant process. So, you know, if a client is unhappy when they come on board and we say, you know, how did that happen? Oh, we should have asked, you know, they wanted us to have done this and we hadn't done it. We say, OK, we need to drop that into an earlier stage so that we make sure we ask that question do they want that? And then they'll, we'll know and we'll do it and it, it will all run smoothly and we'll never ever have that problem again. Mm-hmm. And I pick on your shower analogy, how many times do you get out of the shower and oh, there's no towel? <laughs> you know, you go. I've got to go looking for a towel. But it's like, it's like that. Well, in that case, we need to add it into the process to make sure there's a towel before we get in the shower. I mean, it's that kind of stuff, you know. So Alistair, what areas should a nonprofit focus on when creating process improvement strategies? It depend, depends on, on, you know, the type of nonprofit, I suppose. But I think you've got to look at the, the ways that you raise money and how effective they are. But for me, the, the two areas I would be looking at would, you know, the, the fundraising. So, the, you know, you, when, if you're holding events, if you're, if you're kind of doing various activities to raise money and to increase awareness, how much better could those be if you were to kind of just make them perfect every time? So at the end of them all, you, you know, and maybe add into the first time you get a process, add into the end of it, you know, how did we do? What could we improve? And then go back and change that process. So next time you just do it better and better. But, you know, those sort of things really powerful. I think the other thing, given typically limited budgets, I think, you know, the way that you handle your staff, uh, the way that you onboard them, the way that you look after them, you know, the process costs nothing. It really doesn't cost anything to put that in place, but it's just such an easy win because it can just improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of all of those people. And for me, it can change your culture. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's key to that. For the nonprofit listening right now that agrees with us about process, but perhaps can't purchase software at the moment, can you give us a few tips that can at least help get us started? Yeah, chapter 16 in my book. It's not a huge book. Sounds big when I say chapter 16. Chapter 16 in my book um, actually gives a 10-step, kind of step-by-step uh, methodology for putting in place process in your business using a spreadsheet. And, it, and it, it's very much where I started with our software product because I wrote this in a spreadsheet to start with and it's really what we had. And then I thought, oh, I could make that better with a software product, but that's a, that's a spreadsheet approach, chapter 16. So that's one way. But what that basically says, just to give you a flavor for it, but just take a few processes, three to five, focus on those, capture them, put them in a spreadsheet. Don't bother with Visio diagrams, just do them like a list. And then basically within that kind of spreadsheet, every time you run that process, every time you use it, add a column and get everybody and put, put an assigned to column in there, but add another column. And then for if it's employee onboarding, put a column in, put the name of the employee and tick the steps off as you go through, get everybody to confirm that they've done everything and um, add in resources, you know, links to things that are useful, help with documents, any kind of text they might use in emails that they send out and all that sort of stuff. And gradually build that out and just have one tab for each of those three to five processes and make that a way of working. Any final words of advice that you'd like to share with the organizations that are listening today? A key part of the process is it, is it manages the communication into department. And the, you know, because one department, so if you've got one department so that's communicating with another department, they often collect the data they need, not the data the other department, department needs. 
and the other department then does a poor job because they haven't got the data. Someone out there is un unhappy and the first department starts complaining. So you get this thing where departments get at each other's throat because one thinks the other one, they each think they're both rubbish. But really, all they're doing is focusing on their own section of the process. They don't see the overall thing. Process fixes that for you um, when it's implemented properly. So that's the first thing. But I think the broader thing was what we touched on earlier with that innovation and consistency. You kind of face with a choice. You, at the moment, with the standard you know, conventional wisdom, you're faced with a choice between empowering people and letting them get on with it and living with inconsistency where you end up with some sort of chaos or putting in place some sort of controls and disempowering people. And what process can do when implemented correctly is it can give you the best of both worlds around that. And the key to that really is it's about accepting that process isn't something that's locked down. It isn't, it's going to evolve. It's innovate. You've got to innovate. You're constantly changing it. So no point saying let's lock this down and repeat it without changing it. You've got to lock it down we have got to capture it and then innovate. The second is in recognizing that people are smarter than process. And there's so many people put in place process and they just think they, they're putting it in place to control people. All of a sudden, they've lost the brains in their business that were helping drive it forward. I think the, the third thing really is recognizing that these aren't, this isn't a tool to control people. It's a tool to help them do their job better and remember the things they would otherwise not maybe be able to remember. Alistair, this has been fascinating. I'd like to thank you for talking with us today and for shining a light on something that can be so helpful with the way nonprofits run their organization. Alistair, thanks for being our guest today on Impactability. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. Time now for another edition of Coach's Corner, where we take your questions, the things you're pondering, the things you're wondering, the things you're talking about at the office and want other opinions, whatever it is, your questions, we ask our impact coaches for their answers. And every week we've had some great questions, especially the ones that we got recently from Planet Philanthropy. We're still going through that list. And here's another one. It comes from Juan Gallo, the CEO, Executive Director of Heart to Heart Outreach of South Florida. His question, we have a diverse staff and our board has a desire to be diverse. We don't want it to look like we're just doing it for doing it. How do we make it intentional? Great question. And to answer that question, I've got our impact coach, Christine Rahill, on tap. Christine, this is a really, really good question. Remember, though, on Coach's Corner, you only have five minutes to answer the question. Your five minutes begins right now. Thank you, Joe. This is a great question and congratulations on trying to make your board more diverse. This is something that's not only important in the world we live in now, but funders really care about this. Prospective donors, volunteers, and clients very much care about diversity on your board. So there are several steps to diversify your board. The first one is really just to complete a board matrix of the current makeup of your board in the aspects of race and ethnicity, gender, maybe think about LGBTQ, age mix, older and younger, geography. What counties do you serve? Are they representing um, the clients and where they live? And then of course, skills, talents, and experience. Often boards are looking for maybe an accountant, CPA, someone with expertise in fundraising, marketing, your programs, maybe they want someone who's bilingual. You know, think about having one of your clients serve on the board, um, someone who's participated in your programs. And of course, we're always looking for a capacity to support the organization financially in your give or get policy, 
and a capacity to network and bring in more donors and volunteers. So once you put together that board matrix of your current board, then it's up to your governance committee to discuss recruiting goals going forward. Where are the gaps? Where do we need to fill the gaps? So you come up with a list of your recruiting goals and then begin discussing which prospective board members in your network meet those goals and begin the process of recruiting. Now, let's just say you don't have enough prospective board members from the network within the organization or the board. One of the things you could do is consider running your database through a wealth search engine. They not only develop a list of prospective donors, but also prospective board members for you to consider. And then during the recruitment process, I definitely recommend that you share your, your new diversity goals with prospects so they can see your commitment to diversity in action. And then as you bring in new board members and as others term out, you wanna to continue to update your board matrix and recruiting goals to reflect them. And then once you've reached your diversity goals, definitely communicate that to the world. Diversity is so important on a board, Joe. Hopefully this is helpful to make it intentional in your process. I agree with you, Christine. Thank you so much. Thanks to Juan who asked the question. And Christine, thank you for being our impact coach this week on Impactability. You're welcome, Joe. Anytime. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.